Psalm 92 is written to praise God for his goodness. However, what makes such praise unique is that it is written at a time when the wicked are flourishing, as we'll see in verses 6 and 7. However, instead of asking God how long the wicked will prosper, no, the psalmist instead turns to God and praises him for his goodness. In particular, the psalmist sees God's goodness in his providence towards the godless, as well as his providence towards the godly. According to the superscription, this psalm was a song for the Sabbath day. How fitting when one considers that God has given us the Sabbath as a time to rest and to meditate upon his goodness. We're going to break this psalm into three parts. Verses 1 through 4, a prelude to thanksgiving. Verses 5 through 9, providence towards the godless. And then verses 10 through 15, providence towards the godly. So let's begin with verses 1 through 4, and let's look at the prelude of thanksgiving. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night, with the ten-string lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands." Now, verse 1 begins with an affirmation of worship. It is good. It is fulfilling. It is right to give thanks to the Lord. Okay, It's not that giving thanks to the Lord is something that's okay to do from time to time. No. Praising the Lord is fulfilling. It's what we're here to do. And it is right. It is necessary. And notice this thanksgiving manifests itself in praises to God's name. You see, God is to be worshipped as God, first and foremost. He is to be worshipped for who he is. And notice what is his name. I give thanks to the Lord. I give thanks to Yahweh, his personal name, the name which he revealed to Moses in the Exodus. God is also to be worshipped as O Most High, El Elyon. In other words, he is the God above all gods. He is the God of the nations. Our God is personal, our God is transcendent, and therefore, praise is due him. Having told us what to do, the psalmist now in verse 2 tells us when to do it. We're to bracket our day, if you will, with worship. We're to speak of God's loving kindness, that is his covenant love, his mercy in the morning. And we're to speak of his faithfulness, his trustworthiness every night. Now we have two central characteristics of God. One, as we begin our day, we, pr we praise God for his mercy, for his covenant love, that love that gives us security. It's that covenant love that is going to carry us through the day. And then we end our day with praising God for his faithfulness or trustworthiness. It is the fact that God brought us through another day. And in doing so, he has proven himself to be trustworthy. Now, believer, how do you begin and end your day? I challenge you, let's begin our day with praising God. And let's end our day with praising God. Now, verse 3 addresses how we worship. This particular worship, this particular praise is done in song. And here the song is accompanied by an instrument of ten strings. The lute, the harp, there's a harmonious sound. Uh, such singing is, or such music enhances our praise. Now, that's not to say we can't praise without music, but music elevates our singing. Verse 4 explains why we worship. You, Lord, 
have made me glad through your work. What is the work? Well, the work is all that God does for us, particularly in the realm of salvation. So because God has saved us, he has made us glad. We have a reason to praise. We should never be without a praise. If at anything, we are saved. We have a reason to praise God. So let's move on to verses 5 through 9. Providence towards the godless. Again, he's giving praise to God for his goodness in his providence towards the godless. Verse 5, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this. That when the wicked sprouted up like grass, and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies will perish. All who do iniquity will be scattered." So, in verse 4, he spoke of God's works that cause him to be glad or cause him to be joyful. The psalmist now meditates upon those works, especially in relation to the prosperity of the wicked. Again, he's not going on, oh Lord, how long are the wicked going to prosper? Instead, he sees the wicked's prosperity as providence on God's part towards the godless. Pay attention. He goes on and says here, O Lord, how great are your works. And he applies this to God's thoughts. Your plans, that's the word for thought here, your plans are very deep. And of course, we know from other scriptures that we, who can know the mind of God? Uh, The mind of God is far infinite than our finite minds. Uh, God's thoughts, his plans are beyond human comprehension. No wonder that a senseless man, now a senseless man here is a brute. A brutish man does not understand your ways. A stupid fellow, a fool. Remember the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Stupid fellow does not understand this fact. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness. Now what are God's deep thoughts? What are God's plans that the foolish cannot comprehend? Verse 7. The wicked, the lawbreakers, spring up like grass. The workers of lawlessness or iniquity flourished or flower. Uh, And, you know, we would assume, well, they're being blessed. No. In actuality, uh, they're springing up like grass and they're flourishing like a flower isn't a blessing, but it's a curse. Because it's those very things that they enjoy which will bring them destruction. Just like a flower, just like grass, uh, flowers that will be plucked and grass that will be cut down and burned in the fire, they will pass away. As opposed to the evil workers, the workers of lawlessness and iniquity, who flourish for a moment by their own devices, God is on high, God is in heaven, God is on his throne forevermore. The wicked are lifted up unrighteously, God is lifted up righteously. The wicked endure for a moment, God endures forever. And so in verse 9, For behold, lo, God, your enemies. This emphatic, repetitious clause becomes the curse. Lord, look at your enemies. Lord, look at your enemies. They'll perish. They'll be destroyed. Look at the workers of iniquity, Lord. They'll be scattered. They'll be dispersed. Literally, they're going to be separated from God and from his people. So take pause the next time you're uh, looking at someone who is wicked 
and cannot comprehend why uh, they seem to be prospering, just take respite in knowing, hey, their prosperity is ultimately their doom. The very things that they're boasting in are the very thing that God is going to use to destroy them. That's God's providence, and therefore God is good. Verse 10 to 15, we have providence towards the godly. Verse 10, but you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil, and my eyes has looked exultantly upon my foes. My ears hear of the evildoers who rise up against me. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He'll grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They'll flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So God's enemies prosper, but for a moment, only to fall. Uh, and so now we consider God's providence towards the godly. And so in verse 10, he says, my horn, literally my strength, is exalted like a wild ox. You know, he's being renewed by the Lord. He's anointed with fresh oil. In other words, he's uh, being filled again with the Holy Spirit. And uh, he sees God's judgment against his enemies. He hears uh, the desires of God against the wicked. He hears what's happening. So he's seeing what's happening. He's hearing what's happening, verse 11. And again, as he saw, said back in verse 7, the wicked are being destroyed. He's vindicated. He witnesses the destiny of the righteous now in verses 12 to 15. And he uses agricultural simile. The righteous are like a tree. They're planted in the temple. They have a lifetime of fruitfulness. And he confesses the justice of God. So verse 12 they're planted like a tree. We remember Psalm chapter 1. The righteous are planted like a tree, planted by the river of water. Uh, their leaf will not wither. They'll produce fruit. We see in verse 13, they're planted in the temple. Verse 14, uh, they'll have a lifetime of faithfulness. And verse 15 confesses God's justice. Let's break this down for just a moment here. Verse 12, uh, the righteous, who are the righteous? Those who keep the law, those who obey God's covenant, they will flourish. They will be fruitful like the palm tree or the date palm. Okay, so believers, as we are obedient to God, we're going to produce fruit. Uh, will be planted in the house of the Lord. And that's interesting because he refers to the cedar tree. And uh, Solomon uh, purchased cedars from Lebanon to build the temple. And so this is what the reference is to. He's comparing the righteous. He's comparing believers to the cedar trees who became the uh, uh, temple of God. And in much the same way as we as believers today are what? The temple of God. The temple of the Holy Spirit in which God dwells. And he goes on to say that we are planted in the house of the Lord because we are God's temple. We will, verse 13, we will flourish. We will know the presence of God. We will worship God. We will sacrifice to God. We know the word of God. We will be the people of God to the point that we will have fruit in our old age. In other words, we're going to produce fruit all the days of our life. We will be fresh and flourishing. Uh, we'll be in a state of blessing. Now, verse 15, the trees of the Lord declare that Yahweh is upright. Uh, remember Christ said, if no one praises me, the rocks will praise me. Well, here the trees are uh, praising. Now, again, he compared us to the trees, so he's not talking about physical trees, though they do testify of God's glory, but now he's talking to us as believers. Uh, we will grow up. We'll be that tree planted by the river of water. We will declare that Yahweh is upright. He's just. He's straight in his dealings. Uh, he is 
Our rock, again, another word for our strength. There is no iniquity. There's no unlawlessness. There's no uh, unrighteousness with God. Now, the question of who really prospers is answered here. While the unrighteous may be fruitful for a season, it's deceptive. Like a flower, they flourish, but they'll be cut off. Like grass, they'll grow, but they'll be mowed down and burned in the fire. The wise person, believer, be wise. See through that facade. Trust in God's righteousness. Trust in God's judgment. See his providence in dealing with the godless and in dealing with the godly. And then turn and give God praise for his goodness. Let's pray. Father, Mighty One, Yahweh El Elyon, we come into your presence with praise. We praise you for your goodness. We come to you now, Lord, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, our Savior, the one who gave his life, who shed his blood for us, to ransom us from sin, to redeem us from your wrath. Father, you are to be praised. You are mighty above all others. There is none like you, and there is none that can stand beside you. Father, Lord, we need your help. Father, help us to see who you are. Help us to meditate on who you are and what you've done. Help us through your spirit to give you the praise that you so richly deserve. Father, you are a good God. And even though we may look around and we may question why the world is so wicked, in spite of the world's wickedness, you're still good. And so, Father, give us eyes to see how you deal with the godly, as well as how you deal with the godless. Father, forgive us if we've ever looked upon the wicked and their seeming prosperity and been jealous. Forgive us if we've ever coveted after those things. Father, I ask and pray that uh, we would be fully satisfied in who you are and what you have provided us with, that Father will understand that their prosperity is but their curse, and that Father, better to be a tree planted by the water, better to be righteous than unrighteous. Because in due time, Father, where, where they will be flowers plucked from the ground and grass mowed down and cast in the furnace, our leaves will not wither. We will prosper and we will produce fruit. Father, I thank and praise you for all you continue to do for us, first and foremost for the gift of salvation. And to you, may all the glory be given, now and forever. Amen.